quite the stuff. Paul uses such wonderful words to share his own perspective with the Christians in Philippi. The perspective that he offers here is one that the Philippians and all Christians everywhere should have, including us. It's a way to look at our existence in the universe as Christians that we should be led to do as a natural result of having this outlook. So we're going to go through this passage. And as we go through, we're going to look at five outcomes of Paul's perspective. Um, and these are outcomes that you can see happen in the lives of those who personally adopt this perspective and, and live it out in their own lives. So if you're taking notes, five outcomes of Paul's perspective. The first one is this confident faith. That's the first thing we see. The first thing that Paul says in our passage in verse 19 is, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul is a man of faith, but he doesn't say, I think this is going to happen. You know, I think this is going to work out for me. He's like, I know, I know this will work out for my deliverance. Uh, based on the phrasing of his words, you can see how confident Paul is that his current situation is going to work out. And remember, Paul is writing these words from prison. He is under arrest, awaiting trial in Rome. This is important context to remember as you read and study through Philippians, because Paul writes with an attitude that doesn't seem too common from a prisoner. He expresses this special kind of joy despite his change because he does chains, because he is filled with the Holy Spirit. It's also worth noting that Paul reveals his confident faith in those words, will turn out for my deliverance through the prayers of the Philippian Christians and the supply of Jesus Christ's own spirit, he expects that he's going to be released to carry on his ministry of the gospel. And according to a lot of Christians, what they believe and what a Christian tradition um, might tell us is that he actually did. Um, it is widely held view in the church that Paul's imprisonment in Rome started in the year 60 AD and his trial so that's where he uh, awaited his trial before Caesar. And that trial wouldn't take place until the year 62 AD. So two years he awaited uh, his trial under house arrest in Rome. And that you read that at the end of Acts chapter 28. A number of Christian historians believe that Paul didn't actually die. He wasn't executed until the year 64 AD. So that leaves, that leaves two years unaccounted for in Scripture between Paul's trial and Paul's execution. So uh, we can't say for certain this stuff has happened because it's not, Scripture doesn't tell us. We can't have the surety of, of the Bible letting us know what, uh, all these details. Um, but because of this time period, many believe that he was released from prison after his trial before Caesar and, and free to go. And that's when he went to travel out west to bring the gospel. And he continued on his ministry for two years. A lot of people think he visited Spain and brought the gospel to Spain, the west. Um, but then he would have been arrested again, brought back to Rome, and then beheaded for his faith between the years 64, 67 AD. But if this really did happen, then... Paul's faith here wasn't just your everyday optimism or just a positive attitude. It was true and sure. It was bold and confident. We would be a lot better off in our life if we can get to that place that Paul is at here in his faith, where we know that we don't have to stress over the stressing things in life that are going on around us because we are confident that God is in control. 
and he's piecing it all together. And that's, that's confident faith. So that's the first outcome of Paul's perspective. The second is that Christ is magnified. Here is when we truly see Paul explaining the attitude he had about his situation. Even if his upcoming trial brings the opposite outcome in which, that, in which he's hoping for, it's all good. According to Paul, it's fine. Even if he was going to be executed right then and there before Caesar at his upcoming trial, he's okay with that because the biggest priority for Paul is that Christ will be magnified in his body, whether by life or by death. According to verse 20, Paul's attitude is, no matter what happens, I only want Christ to be magnified. These are the words of someone who has their priorities correct. You know, their priorities are in line. These are the words of a person who understands what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Paul wants Jesus to take the lead. He wanted him to take center stage while he plays the background working to better magnify Christ. That's his ministry. That's, that's how he looks at it. That's the perspective that he has. In life, Paul wants to magnify Christ. In death, Paul still wants to magnify Christ. Now, how can you magnify Christ in your death? Kind of an interesting thought, an interesting question. I was thinking about this question myself, and the word that kept coming to mind um, for me was, was the word legacy. And if I could be so bold, a way that I would define legacy is what you leave behind once your end has come. What you leave behind once your end has come. It's whatever, whatever from your life remains that is going to affect other people. That's in a sense, what your legacy is. Christians have the opportunity to glorify Christ through our legacy. But the way that this is done is by living for him boldly. The way that a legacy is created as a Christian is by living boldly for Christ. Paul was sure that Christ would be magnified in his death because of the huge impact he had on so many through his ministry. He was led by the Holy Spirit, and he was used by God greatly. Paul, Paul was only a vessel. It was only a vessel of the Lord. Yes, that's true. But because of the way he lived for Christ and the way he dedicated himself to the ministry of Christ, that's what he left behind. So what are, what are we going to leave behind? What are we leaving behind based on how we're living our life? <clears throat> So that's the first two, confident faith, Christ is magnified. The third one is life is lived for Christ. Paul beautifully breaks down this relationship between life and death for the Christian in the next verse. Verse 21 says, <clears throat> for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul is boldly saying, as far as I'm concerned, to live for Jesus is a great thing. It's the best way, it's the best way anybody can live. But to die and be with Jesus is better. It's, it's just better when you compare the two. Paul didn't fear death because he was confident God would use his death to further his kingdom, just as he used his life to do. The first part of what this verse says is to live is Christ. To live is Christ. Do we even understand what that means? It might be a simple phrase, and we might, as Christians, hear it over and over again, but when you break it down, man, it is so profound. For those who claim to be Christian, you have devoted your life to Christ. You have put your faith in the saving work that he did on the cross to pay off our debt of sin. That's the gospel. And you have put to death your old self to receive life in him. 
And one of the, in my opinion, one of the greatest verses in the Bible that, that explains this is Galatians 2.20, which says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Man, if you don't get a little choked up reading that, you got to read it more. There is no other option for the Christian when it comes to the way we need to live our life. It's for Jesus. If we are living for ourselves, that's vanity. It's empty. It's not going to last. But when we live for Jesus and we make it our goal and our aim to make him known through our lives, that's eternal. That's what's going to last. When it comes to the things that matter to us, Jesus should be at the very top of our list. The fourth point, fourth outcome of Paul's perspective is this, death is not feared. The second part of verse 21 says to die is gain. This is our hope and glory. This, to be with Jesus, glorified in his presence, meeting him, seeing him face to face. And what a day that is going to be. All our troubles in this life, everything we thought was important in this world, will not even compare with that moment. That, that small sliver of a moment, everything is going to be like nothing. Everything that we're worried about in this life, everything that, that is, is overwhelming us or taking up our attention and focus, compared to that moment, is... is, is incomparable. I just wanted to read this verse. Paul also writes in 2 Corinthians 5.8, we are confident, yes, and well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We know that once we're absent from this body, that's where we're going to be. We're going to be present with the Lord, and that's where we are going to be from then on. We will always be with the Lord. Once this moment takes place, our eternal life begins. And we're always going to be in the presence of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. To live our lives with this mindset on death, where we don't fear it, is, is, that's such a privilege. That is. That's so freeing, right? For the Christian, death is not a negative thing. It is a reunion with our Creator. Not because we did anything to earn it, but because of the work of salvation that He has accomplished in order to save us. Man, we don't deserve this. It's given to us in grace. And I'd like to invite anybody here who does not know Jesus, who has not made Jesus your Lord and Savior, who maybe is still on the fence or you're here for the first time hearing this message. Man, that gift of salvation is offered to you. Jesus, is, Jesus wants to know you. He wants you to let him into your life so that he can do this work of salvation in your heart. And I'd love to invite you after the message um, after the last song of worship, we have people available at the front to pray for you. And I would just invite you to come forward and, and just be prayed over and, and you can talk to them about these things and they'd love to talk you through that. But man, don't put it off. If you haven't done that, don't put off this amazing gift of salvation. The fifth, the fifth outcome, we got confident faith. We got Christ is magnified. Life is lived for Christ and death is not feared. The fifth one, is a life lived for Christ benefits others. 
So Paul has a bit of a dilemma on his hand. And his dilemma was that he saw the advantage of both the life and death of a Christian. He saw the advantage to both sides. He's like, I, I can't choose. I don't know what to choose. I don't know which one's better, right? Well, he already said that to die is better, so I shouldn't have said that. But <laughs> to live meant more opportunity to share Jesus with others, but to die meant eternally being with Christ our Savior. Even saying in verse 23 that he is hard-pressed between the two. Paul knew that departing from this life to be with Christ is far better. But he knows it would be to so many other people's benefit for him to remain and continue being a minister of Christ in his life. He sees the advantage of that. He has the Philippian church in mind as well, saying in verse 24, to remain in the flesh is more needful to you. It is more needful for you if I were to remain in the flesh so that I can minister to you, so I can be a minister of Christ to you and for you. Paul understood that. Paul understood that, hey, if I'm, if I'm going to remain here, if, Paul, if God's still going to use my life, then I'm going to live it for him. I'm going to minister um, in every opportunity, every chance I get. And we, too, as Christians, we have the opportunity in this life to minister to others, to serve each other. What a gift and blessing that is for every party involved. When we live for Christ Naturally, we are going to want to bless and serve others, the people around us, our, our, our brothers and sisters in the faith included. And that is what ministering is all about. It's serving the Lord firstly. You, your ministry is you serving the Lord in, in whatever way and form that takes. You serve the Lord firstly, and, and so often that takes shape in helping to meet the needs of others. And that's a big aspect of church we come together as the body of Christ to worship God, fellowship with one another, equip ourselves through the word of God, our daily bread, um, encourage and exhort each other, and we minister to one another. You can minister in big ways or small ways, but if you are living for Christ, you best be ministering. That's some of that youth lingo, I guess. But, um, and I'll tell you, okay, so... I'll give some examples of little even small ways that you can minister that, that in the end, if, you're, if your heart is in the right place, you're doing it for the Lord and you're serving the Lord by serving others. But if I can share, this might turn into a rant, but if I can share a bit of the bane of my existence as a staff member here at Riverside is how wet the counter in the men's bathroom gets. I don't know if anybody... <laughs> Maybe a little dramatic... Maybe it's a little dramatic, but ladies, I don't know if you have this problem too, but I'm talking like it gets, it, it becomes the great lake of the men's bathroom on the counter. That's how wet it becomes, like puddles. And, and I get it, okay? I, I, I get that you wet your hands in the sink and then you have to drip across the counter to get the soap and then you drip across back to the sink to wash or rinse it off and then you drip across, get the paper towel and then you drip some more as you're drying off. So it builds up and I totally understand that. Um, and it is what it is, partly. Um, but you, know, you see a problem. What's stopping you from fixing it? <laughs> the, and the, this is just a small pet peeve of mine. Small pet peeve of mine, and, and I feel like I've earned the right to rant about it a little bit. So if you want, if you want a, more of a list of my other Christian pet peeves, I can give it to you. I'll give one more. Is when, is when people don't write their names in their Bible and then they forget their Bible and you find their Bible, but you don't know what's theirs because they don't have their name in it. So 
So you're like, this is an amazing Bible here, and I don't know who to give it back to. But my point, my point with the men's counter situation is I feel that many people, when an opportunity to serve presents itself, they might have the mindset or they might think, you know, somebody else will get that. You know, it's, it's actually not my, my week to serve. I'm on next week, so, you know, it's not my responsibility. And with that, I just love to say, stop saying someone else is going to serve in that way and start asking, Lord, lead me to areas that I can serve today. Lead me to opportunities where I can serve. And again, that's a small example, but it could make a big impact, you know? That's just what came to my mind. Um, I already had people coming up to me in the first service saying like, I did it. I wiped up the counter. You're right. It was disgusting. So, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, anyway. <laughs> um, so we need to remember as well, keeping this in mind, let's remember that this is the character of our Savior. It says in Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to, to serve, sorry, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. When we live for Jesus and bear witness of his character through our lives, you bet that will benefit the people around us and it will give God glory. Paul knew this and exemplified it well in his life. He was ready for any opportunity to serve. Whether it was by life or in death, Paul was ready to be used by God in whatever thing God had in store. Now, Paul's perspective here is so important for us to identify with. In fact, I would even argue that this is the key to this unending, unwavering, nonstop joy. It's by adopting this perspective and living out your life as a, as a Christian dedicated to Christ. Paul was filled with the joy of the Lord despite everything that he's been through for Jesus, which is a lot. You know, Paul's resume of suffering in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 tells us a lot of the suffering that he endured for the name of Jesus. But anyway, despite everything that he's been through for Jesus, he knows that it is little when compared to the glory of Jesus. It's not really a tough decision for us. It would, it would be for our own benefit to adopt the perspective that Paul displays in this passage and live out our days in the joy of the Lord. That's, that's what we need to do. That's, that's the dub. As the kids say, that's the dub. That's, I know that because I'm the youth pastor and I try to be relevant. But actually, I haven't heard anybody say that much recently, so I'm probably irrelevant now. I'll, um, and with that, I'll call up the worship team. So we'll finish with a song. Okay, but... Yeah, we're going to finish the song. Um, if we want to give God glory in our lives to actually live for Christ, then we need to dedicate everything we do to him that he may get the glory. And we owe him that. Everything we do needs to be to honor and glorify and exalt him on high. And if we make it our priority to do this, to live for him, I'll say this, that right actions are determined by right thinking. Right actions are determined by right thinking. We can't expect to live boldly for Jesus if we aren't filling our minds with the things that are worthy of him. That's so important. So let's get in the word of God so that we can feed ourselves that spiritual food necessary for growth. 
Let's rid ourselves of the filth of this world to make more space for the Holy Spirit in our minds. Let's fulfill Paul's exhortation at the end of this book in Philippians chapter 4 when he says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. That's a list to remember. That's a list to go back to. Let's actually live our lives for Jesus if we truly claim to follow him so that he can be magnified in our lives. Amen? Well, let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word, Lord, and we pray that you would just help it to take root in our lives. Pray that you would um, continue to speak to us throughout the week on what it means to be a follower of you, Lord, that you would convict us of the things that we ought to be convicted over and that you would reveal to us the things that we so clearly need to see that our eyes may be open and we would be willing to, to, to grow in that area, Lord. So I pray for this, this week and I pray for our lives as we want to live out for you, Lord. I pray that you would lead us and guide us in that, that we would be obedient to your will and, and ready for any opportunity that you present us so that you may be magnified in our lives. In your name we pray, amen.